Welcome to Happy Path Programming. I'm Bruce Eckle. I'm James Ward. All right, welcome to Happy Path Programming. Uh, we got a good one today. This is going to be fun. We've got uh, Gunnar. Gunnar, what's your last name? Hey there, Gunnar Molling. I'm Gunnar Molling. Gunnar Molling. Awesome. Uh, so we're going to talk about your one billion row challenge today. Right. But before we dive into that, um, let's talk about the Winter Tech Forum. Yeah, because this will probably be the last reminder because I'm going to go and be traveling for the next uh, two and a half weeks or so. So we won't be, we're not planning on doing You'll be out in the Bay Area in California. I'll be in the Bay Area so and then LA. Wants to meet yeah. up. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, make sure you sign up early make sure you actually register early because for the winter tech forum for the winter tech forum yeah so go to wintertechforum.com and you'll find all the information there and it's the the website's pretty extensive so if you're worried about well how would i get to crested butte and you know what else going to happen we we it's try to be there. pretty clear well hope hopefully pretty clear there and uh, the, when you sign up you'll get access to a slack channel where you yes. can then Ask questions, questions, join people for uh, car rides up, or and also if you just are coming by yourself, there's a way to use the train and the bus from the airport, which works really well. So um, yeah, all the information's there. The important thing is that you sign up soon enough because a couple of weeks before the conference, I have to release any unused uh, tickets to the Friday night. Uh, ski, ski, to ski to the yurt dinner and everything. So if you don't get in in time, uh, you'll miss out on that. That will not be, um, we won't have a ticket for you because yeah. I have to release the. And you don't want to miss that. And you awesome. don't. Oh yeah. That's always really fun. And, and I've heard, you know, we've, we've got a decent amount coming and I've heard, I mean, Diane might come. Oh I heard my from gosh. Diane. That would yeah. be amazing. Yeah, it Diane would be. Come. So yeah. It's been yeah. a while since she's It has come. been a long time yeah. since she's come. So that's always fun when yeah. Diane's here. So, um, this is Diane Marsh. We had her yeah. on an episode years ago. Yeah. Like, she's yeah, a director at Netflix really and she co-authored the Scala book with me and everything. So, nice. um, I first learned Scala <clears throat> from her talk at, uh, the, the Sandusky, Ohio, conference that's amazing because because i realize now how little we knew when we were writing that book and the (laughs) fact that you know it so well now is very much of a an inversion (laughs) yeah so all right okay yeah so oh and that's uh february the last week of february ends ends the last day is march 1st of the official conference but we do things before and after the conference as well so all that's all on the website yeah and I'm. I maybe we'll do a session on the one billion row challenge. Cause oh yeah, yeah, into, so. yeah. That would be amazing. Get some of those. <laughs> okay, well, let's kick it off with uh, Gunnar. So Gunnar, you um, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> so you did this crazy thing, um, which I think maybe you didn't expect to to go right. quite as crazy <laughs> viral as it did. But this is the just a few weeks ago you announced the one billion row challenge. Right. And I'll give my um, impression of it, and then you can give some details. Totally. So the, yeah. The idea, from my understanding, of the one billion row challenge is. Uh, there's going to be a file. It's going to be large, like 13 gigs. And you created that file, right? He has uh, a... Yes, there is a generator so people can create it by themselves because I just oh. don't want to upload like a 13 gig file. Uh, but yes, I have one which I use for evaluating all the entries. Okay. And so there's this file that has um, kind of like... like uh, 
weather station temperature readings, and there's a right. billion rows. And the goal of the challenge is to see how quickly you can read the file and then assimilate a summary of the weather station data into min, max, and mean right. uh, of that data. And so you announced this, and um, you provided a um, an easy implementation right. as a reference of like like okay you know if you're doing this in right. the way that you would think about normally think about doing this here's an implementation and it turns out as expected that that's maybe not the fastest way to do things yeah um, yeah so yeah so so give us a little more detail on the billion row challenge what right. why why did you do this <laughs> and <laughs> what possessed yeah. you what yeah that's that's what i'm trying to figure out myself by now <laughs> what what did i do um yeah i don't know to be honest i'm not even sure it was over the holidays you know i had some time at my hands between christmas and new year's eve and Somehow I had this idea to do something with a 1 billion rows for quite some time. I felt it's, you know, it's a, obviously it's a nice round number. I feel it's a size of data, which takes you a little bit longer to process if you do it naively, but then also you can, you know, take it and, and make it quite fast. So I felt right now for the compute power, which we have at these days, it's a interestingly sized um, amount of data. So... Yeah, I thought, let me see what I can do with that. And then I just felt, okay, I want to put out something for my friends, you know, like uh, people I interact with on social media. And I thought, yeah, maybe a handful of people will like react to it and um, and participate. And I was actually talking to my wife about it up front. <laughs> and she's smarter than I am, <laughs> obviously, because she said, you got to put something in there so that you are not overwhelmed with too many people participating. I, ah, you know, nah, whatever. It's it's, it's going to be fine. I want just people to participate. Yeah. And luckily, I put one thing in place, is, and this is, well, it, it's got to be in Java, right? And it, you don't have to use dependencies because... Um, well, A, I just, you know, I'm not super familiar with like uh, Rust and all on other languages. So I wouldn't, you know, it would take me a long time yeah. to like set up the environment and like to compile the stuff. So I felt, okay, I want to narrow it down a little bit just from an operational well, perspective. By not using dependencies, it kind of prevented people from cheating in a way where exactly. you, you could maybe write a C program and then use JNI right. um, and wrap that into a library. And all of yeah. a sudden your Java program is one line of code that just like calls exactly. the, the C library and yeah, that wouldn't yeah. be very that's not along the lines of what you were trying to, exactly. to look at you were really trying to exercise Java right because exactly mm -hmm. so that's you know it's close to my heart and there's so many new APIs and developments in the in the platform like there is you know an API in upcoming for vector computation so you can use all those nice SIMD instructions of your CPU there's new APIs for interacting with native memory more efficiently all this kind of stuff, and um, yet the primary motivation for me really was to just, you know, have a nucleus for people to play with, to also explore those things. So actually, this leaderboard which we have, to me, it's not the most important thing. So I'm not that interested, like, which one is the fastest. It's just uh, really meant as an opportunity for people to learn, to exchange with others. So for instance, it's partic in, in particular, it's yeah. legal to get inspiration from other people and see what they do. Um, you know, uh, of course, you shouldn't, like, resubmit just another entry. I mean, that would make any yeah. sense, but you should, you know, it's totally fine to take inspiration and learn from that. So that's the main goal, and that's why it's also focused on Java well, think, because that's what, what was I cool about this was we have people that are 
extreme experts into performance optimization right. problems. And I think oftentimes these people are, um, they're, they're working in an organization and they're not often sharing this expertise with others. And yeah. so creating this mechanism where people are essentially sharing the, the approaches that they would use to do these kinds of optimizations is some really interesting knowledge that, that is not often shared. And so I think that was one of the, the super cool things that came out of this. Right. And I mean, um, it, you know, a lot, lots of actually well-known people from the uh, community participated, like um, Alex Shipilev and Cliff Click and like all those uh, people, right? So um, this was, of course, also very fascinating for me to see that uh, all those people would actually, um, you know, be inspired to to participate. So it seems yeah, I mean, kind one of, of the one of the top uh, entries, of from what I remember, is from uh, Thomas, who is right. um, yes, like like I don't know, runs the Graal VM team or something like it's, that. So exactly to have somebody right. who's a, a real deep expert on the optimizations in Graal VM and, and Java and, and them creating an entry. You know, there's so much that, that we can learn from, from seeing uh, what people have done there. So Absolutely. super cool on, yeah. on that front. Um, one interesting side note is that this certainly exploded beyond the Java community. And we've seen implemented, you've seen implementations now in what, every program, every major yeah, program? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really wild. So, I mean, we have, uh, it was an, actually an idea from a colleague of mine, Robin Moffat, to create like this show and tell section. So it's all on a GitHub repo. And there we have like a discussion section now where people just can bring their alternative implementations um, not as an official entry into the challenge, but just, you know, for them to show off and interact with others. And yeah, there's like C, C++, Rust, .NET. Um, somebody did it in COBOL, actually, like the other day. Oh, um, yeah, it's it's brave. How did that one do performance-wise? <laughs> uh, I haven't seen the number, to be yeah. honest. Um, and, and he did it single-threaded, so I guess it's not super fast. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so there was that. People did it in ARC and um, then also I all kinds of Scala databases. one, of course. Of um, course, a, yeah, yeah there's Scala, of course. I, I suppose like Kotlin um, as well. And so, also databases like Snowflake, Postgres. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, people were, were doing it with databases. What about, because it seems like Julia would be a really good fit for this or... Um, I mean, Python has these highly right. optimized math libraries. Have people done it? Yeah, with Python for sure. And I also think I saw a Julia. I would have to go to mm -hmm. the show and tell to be sure. But I think I, I've seen it there, yeah, yes. Yeah. So lots of different implementations that we saw. And there was some interesting um, competition between, I think, the C-sharp folks and Java and C-sharp folks trying right. to like, look how much better C-sharp yeah, is than exactly. Java. So there was some, exactly. some fun kind of competition exactly. to yeah, across so different this, languages. This, cooked up a little bit again it was not i mean you know the, the 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 thing i was looking forward or to do so much because i mean it's just really hard to compare those things and um but yeah of course it's like everybody of course wants to you know show off that their pl favorite platform is like the fastest yeah. one right i mean i totally get it so yeah, and you're running the kind of test for the challenge on a specific machine so this right. gives you kind of in the official competition this gives you kind of stable pretty stable results but one one question i'm curious about here is um what's the like minimum 
absolute minimum time to read a 13 gig file like what <laughs> like what's the what's the very smallest right. amount of time that this could possibly take yeah so my personal one which is the baseline and i mean it kind of bugs me that i'm the last on the leaderboard it's kind of embarrassing <laughs> i guess but you know it is what it is it's, it's on yeah. purpose um so this one takes about like five minutes it's um you know just the most basic th thing you could do like using yeah. java streams doing everything sequentially um not caring about allocations or whatever so this runs about five minutes so that's the and nobody actually submitted one which was even slower so that's that's good <laughs> i think and, my my scholar one was was probably slower than that one. Oh wow but okay <laughs> i didn't even, well obviously it was scholar so i could submit it but i think but. what you were asking was oh how long does the operating system take just to load the data into memory mm, yeah that's a good point actually i designed this challenge uh for this to not be a relevant factor because the way it works is there's every contender will be run five times in a row and so it's oh, yes exactly and then i will the discard the, the slowest is the file or yes exactly is that exactly. all being read out of memory and, and right. you're running on a linux system yes uh, it is uh, um center you know, stream environment it has uh, very it's a very nice epic server with 32 cores initially i had a cloud box with dedicated cpus and i felt that should be all right but then actually, apparently they moved this VM to another host. And when I came back the next day, all the numbers were like off. It was like way faster than before. So I couldn't compare it any longer. Uh, um, the choice of virtualization and, yes, and exactly. being able to, so, to move virtual machines around to right. other hardware. And, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I've had my fair share of learning about that stuff. And then I, you know, um, I set up with help from somebody from the community, which also was great. Um, we set up a new dedicated box now. It's this super beefy machine. And uh, actually, I run it still on eight cores to, you know, uh, keep it a bit under control. If I do uh, use all the 32 cores with um, hybrid threading, then the fastest ones right now will run in less than a second, which I feel like oh, kind of wow. okay. crazy. Amazing. That's amazing yeah. to, to read. Process 13 gigs. Okay, so real quick, uh, you run the test five times. You discard the slowest and the fastest, right. and then you average the the three middle to, ones. Is exactly, that, exactly. That exactly. That's 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 what I do. Yeah, and so the the fastest ones from what I've seen now are all like like three two three seconds. Is that? Yeah, so it's it's actually if you are below two seconds, uh, sorry, below three seconds now, so like uh, two point eight or whatever. So it's like. Um, Really impressive. I'm not sure whether there is much more room. I mean, people really look at the, you know, assembly code uh, which gets produced. And like, there was this one guy, he's, oh man, I've been sitting here for three hours staring at the assembly and I don't find any ways to improve that. Oh, man, what have I done to this? Can't you got any more performance? <laughs> uh, one of the, the uh, really good blog posts about this was the Rust version. So right. somebody, somebody created the Rust version and yeah. they started with their kind of naive implementation right. and, and tracked how long that took on their machine and then they started in the blog post went through all the iterations of optimizations that they performed and how those optimizations changed things right and then ultimately getting to this like 70 instructions on the cpu with no branching and you know right but really good blog post that, that yeah 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 we have a few nominations or entries like that in the, in the challenge as well so people uh, you know for instance roy one reen who's also one of the top contenders he has a very extensive description in the header of his file where it describes 
um, all the steps he did. Thomas Wörtinger, for instance, um, he uh, commented like how many CPU instructions his entry takes on his machine, and it's like wow. uh, really impressive to see. And also, I mean, just for me, I learned so much from that. It's really That's incredible. Cool. And also, they all ran under Grawl. Not all of them. Actually. To, so the the competitors could pick which VM. Which right, exactly. So because this also was one area I felt it would be nice to explore to see which kind of JDK distribution uh, you know is advantageous because I mean different distributions have like different GCs. As it turns out, you don't need any GC at all. You just can use Epsilon GC because you can implement it like, uh, you know, without allocating so much. You need GC, GC has overhead that you don't need in this exactly. case. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, there is, this, there is this uh, um, distribution which has uh, crack, like, uh, um, um, uh, you know, checkpoint and restore. So I felt it would be interesting to see uh, how people play with all those uh, things. And yes, also there's, of course, GraalVM, working as the uh, um, just-in-time compiler for the hotspot JVM. So that's what uh, people, what many people use. And then, of course, also native uh, binaries compiled ahead of time. Um, and yeah, the most ones at the top, they use GraalVM either as JIT or as AOT compiler right now. Yeah. Yeah, so interesting to see the, the differences there. So let's talk about some of the different approaches that people have taken. So the the naive approach, um, which which you and I took, is you know read each line in the file and keep track with uh, records or or something similar. Uh, right. Uh, with the um, the minimum, the maximum for each station, and and then keep a, a total of the temperatures so that then you can do the the mean later. Right. And that's you know. A good straightforward approach. Um, turns out uh, it's not the most performant. Right. So let's talk about some of the the approaches that that people have taken. So I think one of the most obvious approaches is to not read the file line by line, um, but instead partition the file into blocks based on how many CPUs, and then right. multi-thread um, your your file reads so that you get some parallelism there, and then yeah. aggregate all the results at the end. Is that my understanding? That absolutely. Approach? Absolutely, yes. So that's what everybody does. I mean, that's the first thing which comes to mind, exactly as you say, to use as many calls as there are. Um, so that's what everybody does. Um, there's, and there, I would say there's just one challenge with that. You need to uh, be mindful of the uh, um, limit those chunks, right? Because if you just split the file into, let's say, eight equal parts, you might end up in the middle of a line. You got to get to the end of the line somehow. So you got to make sure your partitioning is is based on end of line, not, not somewhere Same. in the middle. Yeah. So and I saw, I, I looked at maybe one of the implementations of, of this and, and it seemed like there was, um, the way they'd done it is with some uh, attempt at finding a partition, um, where to partition, but then kind of adjusting the partition based right. on on the character at that that yeah yeah binary. exactly. So essentially, yeah, you, you you I guess the simplest thing would be to go back until you go you know back to the yeah. early the previous start of a line, um, and then this is where you end the current chunk, and then you start the next run off of that offset. Yeah. I guess that's what I would do. So did anybody try? I mean, I'm. I, this is the first time I've thought about this, but there must be a way to do a running mean rather than keeping all the values. And I don't right. even know if I, that would help. I looked at this and oh, I yeah. could not find a math equation that would do the running mean. So you oh, you can do, do it. What well, would be an algorithm? Huh. I, you, so it, 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 I, 
I think I think you just have to keep track of the number of elements and then you'd add one and then do a redivide by that number. Right. That would be my guess. So it would yeah. be an algorithm rather than yeah. a formula. So that I mean that's what most people do, right? So they keep track okay. of the count, they keep they keep track of the sum and then mm -hmm. they just divide the sum by the count. Okay. Um that's the simplest one. There is actually also an incremental way. I don't know the formula from the head of my mind, but mm. you actually can incrementally compute a mean. Uh, I feel it would probably not be uh, faster. Um, I yeah, suppose just summing it up. Like it having wouldn't one make that big of a It'd be more right. of a, um, a memory uh, saving trick. Right, yeah. And I think you got, also you got to be careful that you don't overflow if you do it the sum of right. all the values. Mm -hmm. That's the other yeah. thing. Right. So, okay, that... that um, optimization is is pretty straightforward right what's what's another optimization that the what's right. a bottleneck that people encountered and yeah. then what's an optimization they performed yeah i mean so there's two things two more things i think which are interesting to talk about um the next one would be uh, like how do you actually parse the line so you, you have this chunk and then in your eight workers or whatever you do you go through them line by line and you gotta find like say the next line break. And the question is, um, how do you do that? And I mean, of course, you could just ingest or like iterate through the bytes and, you know, go until you find the line break and then you know you have found the line. Um, but then there's better ways to do it. So there's, um, you know, one one person did it with a very nice uh, Zimni-based approach. So they use this new vector API and essentially they load the line or let's say parts of the line into one vector and then for instance they apply like an equal operation onto all the elements of this vector at once and find that way they can find out that with one call whether there is a semicolon which divides the station name and the values uh, so they would be able to find that with one uh, call so for instance that's an interesting one um that's and this, this like uses is this is this like in actually in java that they're doing this or like how like how in java do you actually do that sort of thing um there is actually a new or right now what do they call it like a preview or an incubating api um it's called the vector api and this is well that's what it says right so it gives you an api for vector computation um and those methods they are essentially backed by uh, sim the single instruction, multiple data, uh, CPU instructions, um, which you would have like AVX2 or AVX512, this kind of stuff. Um, and this is how Java makes, uh, you know, exposes those instructions to you as a as a okay. program. And actually then if you run on a CPU, which doesn't have a particular instruction, it would fall back uh, to like a scalar implementation. It would be slower than, of course, um, which I actually find fascinating because, I mean, I'm not a big expert in C or whatever, but I believe there you would directly say, which particular instruction you want to use, right? Whereas here, mm -hmm. it's actually now it's portable because the uh, JVM takes care of mapping this to the right instruction on ARM or mapping it to the right Zimni instruction on um, on Intel. Um, so I feel it's actually a very nice way for exposing those APIs to um, Java developers. So let cool. me ask, uh, okay, so with the SIMD instruction, in this case, the instruction would be, is this a semicolon? And it would simultaneously apply it to every so like uh, eight bytes or sixteen bytes, yes, something of, like that of the vector. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Huh. That's cool. All right. So SIMD is able to essentially parallelize across multiple uh, uh, parallelize an operation across multiple pieces of a vector or something. Is exactly that... right. So you have in addition to threads 
And I mean, even taking a step further back, in addition to running on multiple compute nodes, you can run the same instruction parallel multiple times on multiple elements of your data, which just, um, huh. I mean, ideally, it would be like if you do it on eight bytes at once, it could be eight times faster, right? I mean, yeah. there's more to that, but that's the general idea. Because you've read those eight bytes already into memory registers right. or whatever. And so the CPU, some CPUs have the ability to then right. apply a, a particular operation against all those registers at the same exactly. time. Exactly. Without having to use threads. <laughs> and I think it would yeah. also seem like there might be a, a stronger statistical likelihood of the <laughs> semicolon appearing you know, not at yes. location zero, one, two, three, or whatever. Yes, and right. people make use of that. Yes, they totally do also. And actually, this uh, there is where my own, you know, uh, inexperience with doing this kind of thing shine through because I totally did not expect people to take advantage that much of the particular data. So one example, yeah. I have this generator which produces this 1 billion rows file and it has 413 or something different weather stations which I took from Wikipedia and this is the uh, seed uh, you know for, for generating this data and in my mind this is just one example and people sh you know they should make this generator work but then, like everybody you know went straight and took advantage of as you say the characteristics hey there's no name which is like shorter than xyz characters so let's uh, you know yeah. optimize for that it, it still would work with other uh, data sets but it's uh, oftentimes it's very much optimized for the uh, specific data set which is fine um, i mean that's you know how the challenge is i did not expect the constraints it. of the challenge but it's interesting like exactly. there's a there's a there's a trade-off to optimizing for a particular data set versus right. a data set that you really don't know the structure of. Exactly. And you right. can make more, yes. more optimizations the more yeah. constrained yeah. Uh, the, the input data would be. Right. And, um, and, so and I guess people did take advantage of, exactly. of like the, the structure of the data being somewhat right. knowable. Yeah. I mean, and, and had, you know, had I known that, or I guess next time I would, you know, design it in a different way so that people cannot optimize that much for a particular data set, I would just describe the nature of the data set and then, you know, what actually is being used for evaluation. It would maybe, you know, be a secret essentially. Um, but it's fine. And also actually, we, so the official challenge is what it is. It uses this uh, data set or key set with those 400 uh, stations. But actually, um, I do like a side evaluation now where I actually have another generator which takes the whole range of uh, allowed names, which is like 10K different names. Um, so that's like, you know, the maximum number of, of, of stations which is allowed. And that's, uh, this also is interesting to see because so I occasionally I run like the top 15 entries against that key set and huh. it shuffles the order quite a bit around. So, huh. um, you know, some people have so much optimized for that initial key set, they go quite a bit slower for the larger 10K key set. And then there's others who do, um, I would say, maybe they are not the, the fastest, but they do really reasonably well for, for both key sets. Huh. That's interesting mm. to see the differences there. Well, and it's cool in your initial tweet about this that you mentioned SIMD. And I think when you mentioned it, you're like, I have no idea if anybody's actually going to like come up with right. SIMD implementations here. But, I, but I, mean, I, I was hoping it, yeah, but I, I did not expect it. There was another super interesting thing which I felt was really cool. So the, well, the temperature values, they are specified to be uh, like between minus 99.9 and plus 99.9 .9. so it's like two digits before the comma one fractional digit 
And one person actually felt, okay, this is just essentially 1,999 different values. So instead of parsing them, he uh, created a perfect hash function which allows him then to just do a lookup. So he just takes the bytes for the value and then he does use this as an index to just get the value from an array. And that's a little bit faster. And I felt, okay, that's like a super creative technique and it's just yeah. so cool to learn about, you know, how people come up with this stuff. Yeah, so I did see a number of entries using the like perfect hash map or, or near perfect hash map and <laughs> also on the station names of right. making some assumptions. What's yeah. I, I don't know enough kind of deep level things, but what makes the using the hash for this faster? Yeah, so there's a few things to be said for that. So first of all, the perfect hash for the station name, actually it's not legal in terms of the uh, challenge because unlike the values, yes, there's only a specific values, but for the for the, for the the name, it could be, uh, and, and, you know, there's a maximum length, but it could be any kind of name with a uh, hundred uh, bytes length, essentially. So, um, yeah. You, you couldn't uh, really have a perfect hash for that. Well, it, not within probably the reasonable amount of memory yeah, and, and right. like, yeah, so because there's, there's enough variability in the names. Should that, we explain what a perfect hashing function yeah, is? Yeah, let's let's go there. What's do you want? <clears throat> I don't sure, know I can. There. No, I can. So, so in a normal, in a normal hashing system, you it's it's like you're looking things up in an array, and what you do is you take whatever it is you're looking up, and you hash it to a number, and and then you just index into the array and then get the result. Well, the problem is when you do that, well, more than one thing can hash to that same number, in which case you have what's called a collision. And at that point, you create a little linked list and you say, okay, if we hash and we uh, have a collision, we'll add to that linked list. And then when we're looking up, then we hash and then we have to hunt through that linked list. So, and then you look at that and you go, oh, but what if you never had to step through the linked list? You'd, you'd have a much better, you know, it'd be much faster. Well, the only way to do that is to come up with this function that has no collisions mm -hmm. at all. And then you always know, and, and the only way you can do that is by, uh, you know, constraining your, yeah, right. basically <laughs> constraining your data set to something that you know, and then your function can say, all right, it'll never have a collision. Yeah. So right. one of the implementations I saw with this said, we're probably going to see all of the stations in the first 100,000 yeah. records. And so yeah. we can construct our perfect hash. Yeah. From, and that would not be first... actually like a legal entry into the challenge. Unfortunately, it's not like really possible to test for that because like you would have to create hash collisions and I don't know what kind of hashing scheme they would even use. Um, yeah. So that's a matter of like looking at the code and I'm sure a few ones uh, slipped through. But you know, this is definitely not what you should do. And if I realize it, assumptions then it would the, be yeah, like how we test yeah. for that. Yeah. I'm not sure. Exactly. So I mean, I could do some sort of random testing, you know, and and hope it would would spot fine, collisions. Fine, but yeah, how, but, how long yeah. would you do that? So yeah. actually, uh, so if I am. And again, you know, people, this actually, I need to tell this, people were super supportive with just running the challenge. So as I mentioned, there was uh, one guy, René, hey there, who helped me a lot with just setting up this new environment and configuring it and so on. There was another person 
who helped out, who helped out with creating all those kinds of tests. So we actually have like a small TCK, you know, which you need to pass now to oh, be that's a cool. valid entry. So yeah. Yeah, and, and, and somebody send a pull request you can actually like do some validation to see like, exactly hey, right. So um, like like doing following we have the rules that, as best exactly, we, we yes. can determine. Yeah, right. And 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 so one of them, for instance, is you need to you know pass a test with ten k different names. So this already would weed out those who would have used a perfect hash which just works for those four hundred and thirty <laughs> stations. Yeah. Um, and and then actually I still um, because so many people have their custom hash uh, structure uh, part of the pull request template is uh, so if you do uh, use a custom hash function please point me to the point in the code where you deal with uh, collisions um, so that I can uh, take a look and, and see whether it's implemented mm. in a meaningful way <laughs> evaluate it if it's uh, if it if it could possibly have collisions so exactly. rather than trying to come up with the test to validate that you're doing you're exactly looking at the right. code to make sure that, that yeah. their collision code is, is right it fits and, with the rules exactly and again i'm sure you know there might be a few ones which have slid through but again to me you know it's not that much about it still those people who may accidentally have used it uh, or have like a you know a, a function which actually has some collisions i'm sure they still have learned a lot from participating and doing this so for yeah. me that's that's totally sure. fine yeah. did you try running any of these through like uh chat gpt or something to have it evaluate <laughs> Um, so, I have not, but tell me if if this uh, is reasonable. Or is there any bugs? Right. <laughs> no, yeah. no, I have not done that. But actually, one um, participant, and you may know him, and um, uh, Antonio Gonzalez from from uh -huh, Spain, yeah. one of the Java champions. He just earlier this week. I still need to get back to it. He put in an entry which he created using uh, Google Copilot. Uh, so in the in the PR, he shares like the prompt history how he uh, created that. Um, uh, awesome. And I suppose it's not very fast, but if it's valid alone, I mean, that would be yeah. pretty impressive, I would say. Right. Yeah, I mean, if he could get within some uh, near near performance of some of the top ones and not having to have really written code or maybe even understood the code, that definitely indicates something about the future of AI in our industry. Yeah. So should we talk about code complexity oh. and maintainability? Before I we we do need to talk about that. Before we get there, I want to see if there is any other kind of big optimizations that that people yeah. um, utilize. Mm -hmm. So we've got um, optimizations for parallelism of right. of doing things in parallel. We've got optimizations for parsing the lines um, yeah. more efficiently. And then was there any other like big buckets of, yeah. of optimizations? That, right. That so I I wanted utilize? to talk about um, you know mapping and how do you do this aggregation we touched on that so people come up with their custom um, array backed map implementations essentially so we that's what many did and then actually over the last so few this days is about, the optimization here is about preserve not doing memory allocations so or doing very minimal memory allocations like let's do a memory allocation on the aggregation for each station the first time we see it and then right. then we're just going to perform update the fastest yes, and, updates we possibly can on that on those bytes in memory right for the aggregator exactly and, and and how you keep track of that structure right so if you keep if you get another entry for hamburg or another entry for crested butte how do you find that aggregate as quickly as possible that you mm. can add 
the latest measurement to that one. So that's that's what this is about. So what were some of the approaches for for doing that kind of efficient lookup of where where the aggregator piece is? Was, was is this like is there a, a data structure or the people using unsafe? Like what what's the yeah what's yeah the, um, so the, yeah we we, we also can talk about unsafe because that's what happened over the last few days <laughs> a lot. But um, yes, on that one, I think what most people is uh, do is they take an array, um, they try to find a hash function which works on the raw bytes. So, you know, you want to avoid like creating a string. So you work on the raw bytes and they find they use a hash function, which works, you know, reasonably well for, for the specific key set. And then to deal with the collisions, as uh, Bruce mentioned, um, essentially they do um, um, what's called, I believe, open addressing. I'm blanking right now. But essentially, if you go to this spot in your array and there is something already then you need to compare its name. So that the structure there must have the name of the entry. So you compare that. And if it is not the name which you want to add to, then it's something else. And then essentially you keep going in that array until you find the next free spot or you find your, your entry, which uh, has been created already. So okay. I think that's, that's the yeah. uh, implementation most people chose. Yeah. And this is using unsafe or is unsafe a further kind of optimization right so for unsafe i think people mostly use it um to actually get the values out of this file because actually we didn't talk about that so uh, you want to memory map the file um so you you know can access it from from native memory and then most of the top entries right now i would say use unsafe to interact with the memory memory mapped file and get the values out of it okay so in in Java, there's an API to memory map the file and partition. Uh, I guess partitioning after you partition or when you partition, whatever. Memory map it, and then you need to you want the fastest way possible to read the bytes out of right. that memory map. And Unsafe gives you an API to do that super exactly. efficient yes. reads right. out of out of the memory map. Is yeah. That yeah, that's 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 correct. That's exactly right. And actually, this also touches on what I mentioned. There's this new API for um, um, foreign function and foreign memory access. So you know, it also lets you deal with um, off-heap memory. And one of the limitations people always complained about was that you only could have two gigabytes of uh, a memory mapped file. So in this case. With the existing, with the old APIs, you couldn't memory map the entire 13 gig file at once. You would have to chunk it somehow and then, you know, memory map those sections. Okay. Whereas now with this new foreign memory API, you actually can just uh, get the entire thing, which just makes it a bit um, easier to, to yeah. work with, I would say. Nice. And then one other thing that I saw come up was around GraalVM's auto vectorization. Right? Um, did you do you know any more about that? I I didn't understand that. Um, <laughs> to be honest, no. I'm a bit out of my depth there. So it seems, in any case, it's fair to say that the GraalVM JIT compiler is a good fit for this problem because most people just used the GraalVM JIT compiler. And it, it just gave them a little um, speed up. Um, yeah. So apparently, it, you know, it works well for this problem. Unless the one guy who did this uh, super interesting stuff with the uh, with this new vector API, <clears throat> because this one is not yet opti uh, optimized in the GraalVM JIT compiler. So it doesn't make good use of those um, instructions. And actually, then it's a bit slower yeah. on, on yeah. GraalVM. 
So then I, I guess my um, my take on my understanding of the auto vectorization piece is maybe that GraalVM, which I think is only in the like Oracle, not the community edition one, is that it can do that vectorization for you without you as a developer <laughs> having to do the vectorization. And is that is that all just the the SIMD vectorization stuff we were talking about earlier? Or is that is this a different kind of vectorization? Um, maybe both. I'm not sure to be honest. Um, I, I I'm not quite sure about what Kravim uh, yeah. would. So maybe uh, some there. fascinating um, right. automatic optimizations yeah. Yeah, that yeah. can do with auto vectorization yeah. that that wouldn't require the developer to right. absolutely specify those. I but. mean, one of the things I totally want to do is, uh, yeah, do like a podcast like this or get some uh, live stream set up with like you know a few people who contributed. Like I would uh, totally hope Thomas would. That be there, would for be instance. a really fun podcast um, because, interview right. interview yeah. the, the top the top exactly. uh, contenders and exactly and, because those yeah, guys and, can talk much more than yeah. I could uh, to those particular implementation yeah. details. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Any other, um, interesting optimization techniques that you ran across or yeah, no, I think that's, perf- uh, from a high level, I would say that's, that's it. Cool. And yeah, amazing that people did all this within Java. I mean, going from you and I's kind of naive implementations, which took like five minutes down to two right. and a half seconds, is pretty yeah. freaking amazing what what people are able to do with Java. So yeah, um, that's cool. Okay, so let, now let's go back to Bruce's question. So um, I think maybe that's a setup for this: is that the naive implementations are are readable to you can read the code and understand exactly what problem you're solving. Right. Um, you know, I, I first read your your baseline implementation and was like, oh, like every piece of this makes sense to me. And looking at these highly optimized versions, the the like the the things that are in those is now like incomprehensible to <laughs> me. Yeah. Um, maybe there's somebody that understands those, but but I think there's this huge trade-off. It's like, do you want to do things in the expressive way or do you want to do things in the performance way? And there's this giant gap between right. those in terms of the, the code maintainability, the code readability. Um, and I don't know, to me, this is, it's still an unfortunate piece of, of our developer world is that there is such a big gap. Is that... Yeah, it's hard to, hard to know whether it's a solvable problem, too. It's like yeah. any time you introduce optimizations, you take an impact on, I mean, A, the cost of developing it in the first place, and then B, maintaining it. Uh, right. And both of those things, the, the cost is going to shoot up. Yeah. So you want to yeah. do this really... Uh, judiciously yeah. yeah totally and i mean one one thought i have on that um, i mean i totally agree with you it's very interesting to see and but what i also observed is actually um i, I feel it helps to t- to think about in, in terms of orders of magnitude uh, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you what i found is if you look at the implementations which for instance run i don't know like in 20 seconds or something like that so one order of magnitude faster than my very naive baseline you will find entries there which are equally, maybe even better readable than than what I do. I mean, they do the parallelization. They do, you know, they just don't do like the stupid stuff. They avoid like uh, obvious <laughs> things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you get to that space, I would say with perfectly readable, perfectly uh, maintainable code. Again, I think it's better than what I did. Yeah. But then the next order of magnitude. So now you like- go off a cliff. This, exactly. Then it's getting completely out of control. And, you know, it's, it's not something you would want to have in your, like your regular enterprise app code base. Um, I guess 
okay to have them in the JDK somewhere. Um, but yeah, so I've, I felt that's that's the way I, I, I think about it. Huh. Yeah, I guess that's that's a good perspective. Is like like likely you've got the naive approach that is you know the baseline that that you and I um, both wrote uh, and there's some very obvious places where you can get an order of magnitude faster without having to get into the like crazy stuff. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Without obfuscating your code. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But without, yeah. yeah, And I feel like I've struggled with this in Python uh, because you, you know, you, you have it really clear and then you start worrying about performance and at some point, you need to stop and use yeah. the foreign function call interface, which has always been terrible until Rust came along. And then, but you even then, you only want to do a little bit. You you only right. want to do what's necessary to yeah. to speed it up. Yeah. And then you can call out to that, and then you you know balance you you keep your code uh, reasonable in both languages. Yeah. But um, yeah, pushing a language beyond its limits of, of understandability just seems like a really risky and potentially very expensive thing to do because, right. you know, <clears throat> the original developer is gone, which yeah. is not unlikely. Who, who else do, yeah. do you know? Yeah, who understands Somebody, it, yeah, yeah. Do, do totally, even yeah. understands the domain. Yeah. yeah. No, I think you really want to contain this and I don't know, have some, maybe, I mean, if you, let's say you were to work on a, like a finance application or whatever, right? Maybe you would create like a kernel of those calculations, which do this super optimized stuff. And it's like, like really super contained, like for every line of code, there's like 10 lines of comment and so on. And, you know, that's maybe how you would deal with it. And you, and you only would do it there. Right. And then you would try to like do the normal thing in like 99% of your. Yeah. Code but I wonder, you know, maybe I'm, I could be wrong about this, but my, experience with people who are really good at writing <laughs> that kind of code are not really good at commenting that kind of code. Yeah, I, I think know. there may be a disconnect there that makes it inevitable. Uh, it turns out writing comments for really complicated code is really hard. Right. Yeah. I mean, check out the comment, the, the entry from Cliff Click, who also is one of the fastest ones. He actually did a great job at uh, commenting it. And I mean, I'm not saying that I go to it and like I read it from top to bottom and, oh yeah, sure thing, I totally get it. Uh, but I think, you know, if you or I or anybody else would sit down and spend some time with it, I think it would uh, start to make sense. I feel it's not like terrible, terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, and he's it's... he's someone who writes... And explains. So, exactly. Yeah, and I guess that's the thing you have to do. You go, okay, if we're going to do this terrible thing, we need to get somebody who can, you know, yeah. do it and explain it and create maintainable code, and that's a rare uh, yeah. commodity. Yeah, <laughs> yes. and he actually he did even so he has this uh, what is it called the compiler coffee club or something like his own YouTube or mm-hmm. streaming format uh, where he actually walked through his implementation. So this oh. one is even there's even a YouTube video about it. Oh nice! You can uh, check I'll, out. I'll find that and put that on the show notes. <laughs> and you you made this all happen in a couple of weeks. That's just. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I it's just yeah, the it's, explode it's, explosion. It's like, boy, if you push the right button, if you can find yeah. it. Yeah, just... and I mean, I, I, I keep thinking why it is, and I feel one reason is because it's such a deceptively simple problem. I mean, you explained sure. it like in one sentence, right? So yeah, like, everybody yeah. gets it. You can talk to 
uh-huh. like anybody about it and they will understand uh-huh. the purpose of this or like the, the the target what you should do but it's still at the same time it opens up so many possibilities right and i feel uh-huh. this just like nerd snipes all those people <laughs> man i want to see how fast i can can do it and somehow uh-huh. it's just at a sweet spot there I'm sorry. Did you say nerd snipe? Nerd snipe. Yeah. That's yeah. A good, good, that's, a that's a good, 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 good phrase. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's an official other, term, right? Yeah, it's a good term. <laughs> one other interesting thing I think on this topic of the trade-offs between expressive expressivity, what's the the mm-hmm. the being able to express the problem most clearly in code clarity clarity versus the optimizations is that we did certainly see that the JVM. Uh, and GraalVM in particular has uh, a, incredible benefits that it's providing to the developer to do optimizations for the developer. And I think this has kind of always been in some ways the case for having a, a JIT and a JVM, a, a VM in some way, is offloading that those optimizations to the VM and in you know, and letting it handle those in the best way that it can. I think some of the challenges there is that it a general JIT and VM doesn't always know the best path to optimization that it should take. And so if you want to get to that next order of magnitude, that's where you've kind of reached the boundary of what things can be done through that abstraction layer. And it takes the human to, to then, you know, take it to that. that or a large level. language model. Or maybe a large language <laughs> model. Yeah, yeah. Um, but certainly, <laughs> I, I think, you know, the the use of, of GraalVM shows that, yes, there is there is optimizations that the VM and JIT can do for you. Uh, and that has a, a ton of value to getting to that, like, middle layer of, right. of, of performance. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so are you talking about now GraalVM, the uh, JIT compiler, or GraalVM as in AOT uh, compilation? I think both. I think it's it, there's pro- and there's probably different optimizations that they can each do. Um, right. The the oh, that, I should ask you about the PGO one because that was an interesting one that that Thomas on the Graal VM yeah. team had done initially yeah. was was using um, profile guided optimization. So Graal VM has mm. this way where you essentially like run something and th- that then tracks what is being done in the program into a profile. And then when you create your final native image executable, in the case of GraalVM, it uses that information right. to, to perform the optimizations yeah. more accurately. Wow. So essentially like what a JIT is doing exactly. at, over the course of an entire right. runtime of a program, it in the but it does it into code. the, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm, yeah. And yeah. so I don't know what happened with the PGO version. I don't know if it yeah, was Yeah, I, I asked him about it because he, he mentioned it initially, but then he told me that he, He's, he has done everything like manually already, so that uh, PGO just didn't <laughs> so he didn't uh, need PGO because he did done the, the optimizations <laughs> manually. But interesting uh, use case, I think, for again this point of like <laughs> like maybe with PGO you wouldn't have to manually write all the optimizations. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, um, totally. And I think I've seen some of the latest data from Oracle where they they feel like like generally with PGO they can get the ahead of time. Uh, outputs to to be almost as fast as the JIT over time, um, which is is pretty impressive results. Because yeah. yeah, the challenge I, I, with, ahead of time is that you don't know what to optimize. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's not for, well, you know the platform. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I haven't compared myself, but it seems like it's really um, getting there. So definitely it's um, uh, interesting to see for sure. Yeah. 
Oh, cool. Um, yeah. Any other any other things around this that that we didn't? Um, no, I mean, I wanted to say, you know, again, thanks to, I mean, obviously to everybody who participated and it's still, it's open, right? I mean, it's running until the end of January. So, I mean, some, some people said people on January 31st, exactly. They want to, you know, come with their super amazing entry on the last hour. So we will see <laughs> if that happens. But yeah, so thanks for all the people who participate. Thanks for all the people who helped running it. Actually, this was super amazing for me to see because as I mentioned, right, at some point I just I had like 60, 70 pull requests and I, man, I didn't know what to do. And then I had to move this this environment and it was like, really, I mean, I was overwhelmed with, with it. And, and, and people just came and helped. And, you know, there was one, guy uh, who did like all this evaluation scripting so now it's like really easy uh, to run this um nice. and comp you know get the numbers and update the leaderboard and everything so this was super inspirational he really see. rallied to like help you scale yeah. the whole challenge which is <laughs> amazing exactly. and, and then people ask so hey are you gonna do another one uh so what do you do like next january um i mean we will see right now i think i definitely will need a break from challenges <laughs> after january um but who knows what's gonna happen next year right yeah <laughs> well and what you've learned from this you'll probably um take Ex exactly and, right. you know feed into the next one definitely you, yes and so, you have I, a whole year to be kind of right looking around recover <laughs> yeah re well a recover and then it's then it's sort of a background process right yes, yes no totally. puzzle, and it could be something you know completely different absolutely yeah. yes yeah. yes yeah. and i mean i i think it would for sure be better defined i mean that's something i learned yeah. for sure so people you know want to know about all those constraints and you know right. what well, is this whatever legal and so on so <laughs> i would have to do a better job in like really precisely defining it i would have to make sure like you know that the particular data set is not as known as, as uh, it is right now right um, so it would have to be a bit um, different yeah mm -hmm. and and then i think there's you kind of got to the point where this with this where the fastest ones were close enough to each other in terms of performance that it's a little bit hard to differentiate right. yes. which one is which one is exactly. really kind of faster because yeah. the 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 threshold between them got so small e e exactly. so then the, then I, I think we're we're in a twitter thread around oh does this need to be like the trillion row challenge and yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah i mean kind of larger differentiation absolutely i mean i just was not expecting that people would get to like below three seconds i mean this was like beyond what i would have assumed and yes exactly on that environment and with the way it is set up i just cannot measure like if it's like you know 10 milliseconds difference this is like the background noise i would say so it's exactly. just for me not i cannot tell then okay this one is faster so actually now we have like a shared first uh, place right now because oh they're like close enough with exactly. actually today they were not i i just ran one earlier today which actually it's a bit faster and i i would say oh, it's, it's new, clearly enough faster that i would put that one on first and the, the highest speed is still just shy of three seconds yeah so this one which i had today was like actually 2.5 um okay. and i i wanted to i want to have the other guys at the top uh, to take a look uh just to make sure like you know nothing is like wrong with it um but it seems it would be uh, the fastest one with uh, something like 2.5 there you go. The the leaders get to evaluate the yeah. That, that I mean, like... I just feel more comfortable doing that. To be totally honest, yeah. because again, all this code is like super dense, and it's also not what I usually would write. Um, so I mean, who am I to say you know this is like uh, correct or whatnot? Or yeah. Um, yeah. So I asked those guys. So hey, if you have some time, maybe you also can take a look. And actually, for instance, I had one. This was also interesting. I had one. 
this looked super easy. It looked super well maintainable and it was super fast. So this was like on the readability level of like one order of magnitude faster, but it ran like on the order of two orders of magnitude faster. And I just felt, no, this is, something is wrong. Huh. This, this cannot, this cannot be. And so I asked uh, Roy, so, hey man, can you take a look at this one? It looks so good. It's so easy to, to comprehend, but it's so fast. This, I feel something is odd with it. He was and only then, reading one out of one, one every 10 rows or something. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it, it was exactly that. There was something was off and it actually just processed a, a subset of the overall uh. data set. <laughs> That's why it was so fast. <laughs> <laughs> it's one way to optimize. Exactly right, yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting on the readability front because the challenge really was about performance, not about readability. But the hard thing with measuring readability is like it's like beauty. It's in the eyes yeah. of the holder, right? And so exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And so like like yeah, it's just so hard to 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 look at these and like I feel like when I look at them I can be like, oh, I, I can really read that one, but it depends on my knowledge, my, right. knowledge, you know, the way that I understand things. Totally. Um, but I do wonder if there's some way to, to like, would it be possible to have some element of the challenge be readability, but maybe yeah. it's just way too subjective. Maybe I, yeah, that's what I felt. Somebody also asked us. Yeah, but some people asked about it. Hey, can there be like a, sec a special price for the most readable solution or whatever? But yeah, how do you how do you evaluate that, right? And I yeah. mean, what I find the best readable may be different from what you would prefer, and mm -hmm. I just feel it's like not um, like yeah, objectively. Enough. It entirely measurable. depends upon your background and what yeah, you exactly. are used to. And maybe Cliff Glick would say his implementation is perfectly readable, right? So, I mean, we also have to accept that. <laughs> to, to him, it is. Does the winner get any prize? Uh, yes. Um, so that's also an interesting, interesting a thing. A digital so, badge. <laughs> I mean, they get, first of all, they get the honor of, you know, being on, on, on the top of the leaderboard. But I initially I had planned to just for the winner to, uh, you know, create a T-shirt and just pay for it out of my own pocket and, you know, send it to the winner. But actually now and I have to make the plug my uh, company or my employer decodable. They agreed and we will do something and, I don't know, do a couple of T-shirts for, I don't know, uh, the top n um so i'm still figuring nice. this out so there will be something yeah yeah, yeah. well that's cool that it'll get some something to wear at a conference and and uh, exactly show right. off their show off yeah, their, yeah. Um, their work a conversation um, starter yeah i yeah. would i would probably buy a t-shirt just as like uh like i don't know like if you had oh. like a a t-shirt that that you could buy that's like not okay like so maybe I should uh, should yeah, send maybe, this more, maybe, but you maybe could, you could actually like fund some prizes through through selling t-shirts or something. But yeah, we have a t-shirt now too. We do. Yes, yeah, for do. Happy Pest Programming. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, but it's not a it's not a fundraiser. It's just yeah. It's just a t-shirt you can yeah. buy if you want. Okay. It's pretty beautiful. I <laughs> yeah, I I I don't need I need to figure this out. So once everything is uh, like the you know the official uh, challenge is over, I will have to figure out how I, how we go about it. Yeah, but that will be something. Yeah. Awesome. Well, cool. yeah, thanks for joining us. Super fun. Thanks for Absolutely. all the work that you did to run this uh, contest because that you accidentally uh, created. Yeah. 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 Sometimes <laughs> I, 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 I second, uh, how do you say, I, I question my life choices. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can see that. <laughs> the accidental going viral. I was just um, no, but it's, it's, fun. it's fun. And I mean, so many mm -hmm. people reached out and, and yeah. just said, hey, thanks. This was really cool. Or I learned yeah. a lot from it. And I mean, that's exactly. the best thing I yeah, can do. What a yeah. cool thing to help 
help help people learn new things. So yeah, exactly. Thank yeah. you for for doing that. Okay. Absolutely, it's a pleasure. Awesome. All well, right. Thanks, Gunnar. Thank you so much. <laughs>